Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I was going to put this out tomorrow as part of uh, the regular Arscast on Friday, but I reckon uh, given the way games are going and just how fast we're moving from result to result, from fixture to fixture, it probably makes a bit more sense to put it out this morning. So we will have another regular Arscast tomorrow. And this is not an Arsecast Extra. This is just an extra Arsecast. And joining me to talk about the 1-1 draw with Southampton is James. Hello, James. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? You all right? I'm all right. I, I just want to put this in context for people because this isn't an Arsecast Extra, but I texted you before uh, mm. the game on Wednesday. I said, look... I know it's a big if, but if we win, <laughs> let's do uh, a little bit of a conversation so we can talk about something that isn't so downtrodden and downbeat and miserable and everything else. Now, I recognize we didn't win, but mm. the, the very act of not losing feels somehow like we should celebrate it, given what's happened in the last couple of weeks. Draws are the new wins, if you didn't hear. That's a uh, Netflix series, is it? <laughs> now, I... Um, Listen, yeah, the the rot, I guess, has been slowed. If not quite stopped, slowed. Temporarily, yeah. uh, Staved off. Staved off, that's a great way of putting it. So we're going to talk about the game, we're going to talk about the 1-1. There were changes, we knew there were going to be some changes because of the suspensions to Granit Xhaka, because of the suspension for Hector Bellerin. So Danny Ceballos, as we thought came in for Granite Xhaka and mm-hmm. Ainsley Maitland-Niles in for um, Hector Bellerin on the right-hand side. Then Pepe replaced Willian, the first time that Willian has not started a game since he arrived at the club back in August, uh, a Premier League game. And Eddie Nketiah started up front uh, in place of Alexandra Lacazette with with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the left and we, we lined up in a kind of 5-2-3 formation from the start. There was a very good shot of that, wasn't there? The, the very start of the game, all the players lined up on the pitch, the yeah. five, the two, and then the three further forward. So what did you make of the changes that he made? I mean, obviously happy enough to see him try something. Yeah, I mean, obviously, look, half of them were in force, so we knew there were going to be some changes, but I think... Uh, Nketiah and particularly Pepe coming in was interesting and a bit 
different. And, and I guess, you know, we reverted, I think, in some ways to some of the similar things we were doing before, which wasn't a huge surprise. Uh, I think Nketiah starting was a bit of a surprise, but I think given that he's the club's top goal scorer mm. in all competitions, there was a sort of logic to it. Um, yeah, so I, I was sort of optimistic about the team lineup, but I, I guess what I didn't really take into account is that it feels a bit like whoever we put out there, we're sort of bereft of confidence. And I thought that was kind of the story of our our first half performance, really. Yeah, look, I think we can all understand it. There's, there's mm-hmm. no reason why this team should feel confident or be confident or play in any fluid, exciting way. But it was so, so obvious last night. Southampton, I was watching them at times, and I was thinking, this must have been what it was like when we played really well and other teams would have the ball for a few seconds and then they couldn't really maintain possession it would always come back to us and we put the pressure on and and that's kind of the way Southampton played and one of the things that that occurred to me I noticed I don't know if you noticed this in the in the first half in particular Mm. is when an Arsenal player has the ball he seems to always be surrounded by uh, a vast amount of opposition players. Like I mm. look at I look at the pitch and go, have they got like fifteen players or something? Because <laughs> none of our players can ever find space or they receive the ball in a wide area and all of a sudden all the angles are cut off. And I realize a lot of that has got to do with perhaps the lack of movement. Um, you know, we talk about not being progressive enough, but when you don't have anyone to progress the ball to, it, it's very difficult. So um is that a consequence, do you think, of of the uh, the lack of confidence and being maybe a bit risk averse in that players are not moving enough because they don't want to be caught out of position so we don't get pulled apart so we don't you know concede a goal like we conceded to Theo Walcott yeah I think that is I think that is a factor I mean Southampton have a pretty good press as well from what I could tell and they were pretty hungry when they're chasing down the ball and they're a team that are full of confidence and snapping into you at every opportunity but I think you're right I think there is a kind of synaptic thing where you know players are less confident they're going to receive the ball so their movement drops off a little bit which means they're in less space and there's a kind of constant knock-on effect of this feeling of you know when Arsenal players receive the ball it tends to be in situations where there aren't a huge amount of avenues open to them Um, and that was definitely sort of my interpretation but but I mean the first half just felt like we didn't have the ball for very yeah. long either you know yeah. I, I, the possession stats were heavily weighted in their favor kind of every time uh, I watched the game on on Amazon and every time they went back to it it was kind of scary numbers of wow we just it was sort of like can we have our ball back stuff how yeah how do we um rationalize that how do we look at a team that not too long ago was pretty comfortable in possession. I'm not saying we were a high-possession team, but, you know, there Mm. are examples and clips going around of the way we used to play the ball out from the back against teams who, uh, like Man City, for example, if you talk about Southampton having a good press, there's a hell of a press that you have to contend with. And all of a sudden, you know, we were able to deal with with their press and play the ball out and we looked comfortable and we, you know, we, we moved the ball from back to front. We scored a few goals playing that way, as we all know. So what's... What's happened? It can't just be soft factors, can it? Like confidence or or do we underestimate perhaps how much 
that can impact a team and, and the way that it plays. Aubameyang was interesting afterwards where he said, we're nervous and, and being nervous is making us do bad things, which mm. I think is, uh, yeah, how can you argue with that? Because we keep doing bad things. Yeah, I mean, there was a, I think there was a, some quotes from Bernd Leno after the game that I thought were pretty strong, pretty fascinating. We might, maybe we'll touch on a little bit later. But I, I think confidence is a, is definitely a huge factor. I mean, Arsenal have been a team that have been relatively comfortable in possession, but generally that possession has been in their own half. You know, we're a team who, uh, when we've been good under Arteta or better under Arteta, have been very comfortable knocking the ball round at the back. And I think this was another game where it, our sort of um, our weddedness to that strategy was in question. You know, I don't think I think Leno went longer more than he typically does. Um, and again, it felt like a little bit of a, a case where against Leeds we sort of didn't fancy it playing out from the back, and I felt like we didn't really fancy it against Southampton either. Mm. Uh, and maybe that explains why we didn't hold on to the ball so well. Let's talk about their goal then. Um, I, I think Gabriel has been excellent for us and uh, let's just make it clear that if there's criticism of him or if there's uh, people think we're being negative or I'm being negative, it's only based on this game. It's not to say that he's been a, a bad signing or anything like it, but it, it just felt to me from the start like he was having a bit of a night, one of those nights where maybe it wasn't going to go for him. There were some misplaced passes. There was an incident early on where he kind of, one of those where he was protecting the ball, but he put his arm out. And I have to say my heart was in my mouth a little bit because, you know, in real time, things like that don't look too bad. But when you look at it uh, via VAR, for example, and then they're slowing it down and they show the motion of the arm coming and where does it hit the guy and yeah, all yeah. of those things, I was, I was just, oh, this could be bad and thankfully you know it, nothing happened but it was just one of those where I, I just wondered if you know as a 22 year old center half as you know somebody who has been really good for us uh, and really good for a team which uh, has struggled defensively if perhaps he was feeling the pressure of that the responsibility of that you know knowing how important it is that he plays well and how you know being proactive and being um uh, aggressive in his defending would be important for us on the night. And, you know, if you get those things right, and you're talking split seconds here, you know, if you get those things right and you play on the front foot, defend on the front foot, it looks brilliant. But it doesn't take much for it to go the other way. I think that's it. I mean, for me, the story of his night is kind of, or the theme rather, is one of impetuousness. I think that he was playing like a guy who, you know, wanted to make the difference. And maybe that's mm. been generous because I'm sort of, you know, well-intentioned towards it, but I don't think so. I think this was a young, still relatively inexperienced defender, um, yeah, basically over-committing on a couple of occasions. Yeah. You know, one which causes a Southampton goal and the other which leads to his sending off. I do have a lot of sympathy with him because he's played very well in yeah. a team that's, that's struggling. I also think that... Um, you know, when you are the kind of central centre-half in that back three, uh, often you are the person who kind of is holding or, or, or pivoting a centre-forward. And Shea Adams and Gabriel were in a, 
a tussle all night long. And mm. I almost felt like he got sucked into it, you know, that he was kind of, he was probably relishing, I think, the physical contact and that side of it. And I think it just meant that he got attracted and both him and Elneny got attracted on that Walcott goal. And from then on, I mean, I've never been so sure in my life that Theo Walcott <laughs> would score a chance. You know, I, I, how many times have you seen him go through there? I mean, well, in an Arsenal shirt, you probably always have that doubt in your mind of, yeah. well, this could go in the bottom corner or it could go well wide. But in a Southampton shirt, I mean, there was just no question whatsoever, was there? No, I knew he was going to score. I, mean, I was exactly the same as you. Like, had he been going through <laughs> in red and white, I could conjure up a million ways in which he might put that ball. Like, I, I, I think one of the last... Um, maybe one of his last chances. I don't know if it was one of his last chances, but in a very similar situation, he tried that kind of finish and just dinked it like well wide of the post. I remember that mm. one. This time, he just put it beyond Burned Leno. I don't know if the keeper could be bigger. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, if can... it looks weird, but I don't think I don't think you can have too many arguments. But it does look weird because Leno. Sort of... It, it, it sort of goes his head sort of disappears slightly yeah. he looks down it's, it is weird yeah I'm just looking at it again here and he kind of ducks yeah he, kind, he <laughs> yeah. actually kind of ducks there's a moment where he, he kind of ducks and look we don't need to have the discussion of you know uh the other goalkeeper we used to have, no, the other goalkeeper we used to have who, you know, made himself big like a like a big Argentinian starfish. Right, that guy. You know, that yeah, guy. Yeah, but yeah. but look, you know, when a when it, a player is sent through one on one, you know, you you've got to look at the uh at what came before much more than you look at the goalkeeper, I think. Yeah, and maybe look, maybe Walcott sort of faints for a, a low shot and Leno buys it. I, I don't blame the goalkeeper, but I did tweet saying, you know, if he had a head, he would have saved it. It, it is like, it does sort of disappear into his shoulders. Um, mm. But yeah, the other thing to say about that is just that Walcott for Southampton recently has been playing quite a lot on the left. And I found it interesting. He went over onto that side. I, I sort of thought, you know, Maitland-Niles against Walcott. If Maitland-Niles hangs back a bit, that could be quite a good matchup for us. Mm. Um, and he went over the other side. And, and I listen... I love Kieran. On the subject of defenders, we really like. I love Kieran Tierney. But a couple of times against very, very fast people, he has looked a little short. And, you know, I don't blame him for not catching Walcott, but I think Walcott looked to to get down that channel. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was clever movement, uh, experience mm. movement. So, um, yeah, look, 1-0 to Southampton, not the start that we wanted. And I think uh, if confidence was in short supply after or before the goal, it certainly was afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it, you know, it kind of was what everyone was dreading. It gave Southampton, uh, you know, gave them a lot of confidence. They were able to come out and play and Arsenal wilted. And there were some mm. moments in the end of that first half that, you know, as a supporter, I mean, there, were, there, were, there weren't there weren't uh, no bright spots for Arsenal. You know, in the first half, I felt Pepe looked dangerous when he got within, you know, 20 yards ago. Yeah, there were some interesting bits, wasn't there? The, you know, him moving into central areas, there were a couple of shots. One, I think, was blocked and one maybe the keeper saved relatively easily. But it was promising in the sense that there is a player on the edge of the box getting on the end of a ball and having a shot for Arsenal, which is something that's been in short supply. Mm. I don't think he played brilliantly, but I liked that, you know, we were getting somebody into those positions. Yeah, he does get into good positions, particularly when he's playing from the right. 
he does that thing where he kind of drops off and hangs out nearer the penalty spot, you know, and for a pullback from the left-hand side. And there was one, Ceballos uh, played a really nice little pass into him and the shot was blocked. Mm. Um, funnily enough, look, I, I don't think Eddie Nketiah had a great game, but I even quite liked that opportunity where he just went through on the left-hand side and just thought, I'm just going to have a shot. And it was a really tame, not very mm. good shot. But I was like... At least there's a kind of directness to that that's been really absent. Uh, you know, a shot on target for an Arsenal player at the moment is something to be celebrated. So yeah. th- those were the sort of encouraging things. I-, I can't let the first half pass, however, without... Oh, I know what you're going to say here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I without passing comment on, on the Danny Ceballos incident, which for me, <sighs> I don't know if it's just the way I'm feeling about this team generally at the moment, but I found that absolutely infuriating. And I suspect... Uh, you did as well. I definitely did. And it was only when I looked at the video again this morning and I was re-watching the incident and I was re-watching the, the, the passage of play that I realized just what a fucking idiot he was to do what he did there, you know, because mm-hmm. if he'd stayed on his feet, uh, you know, he had turned the guy and probably could have kept the ball uh, under control. If he'd looked up, he'd have seen Ainsley Maitland-Niles arriving at the back post, completely unmarked for uh, what I'm sure would have been a beautifully soft Panenka finish yeah. into the bottom corner to make it 1-1 before half time. And, and look, when you score a goal can be can be significant in a match. And I think it would have, you know, done us a lot of good. So, you know, he tried to buy a penalty. It was stupid. I guess he was kind of lucky he didn't get booked if the referee deemed it you know, um, if not a, a foul, then it's got to be some kind of simulation. So he just waved, waved play on. Uh, yeah, silly, really silly. It was very annoying, very annoying. What What, what do you make of Sabios? Uh, you know, we're almost a year, a season and a half into his time as an Arsenal player. I, I, I hold my hands up. He's a guy I can't quite work out. I've gone... I think I've gone full circle with him in <laughs> right, that okay. I thought he was pretty ineffective. And then during that period in the summer where, you know, after lockdown, we had a good run of results. And obviously he contributed to the FA Cup win. You know, yeah. he scored against Sheffield United. Uh, the, the the partnership between himself and Xhaka was, was functional, you know, in midfield during that mm. period. I was sort of warm to him and I was glad that we brought him back. But the more I look at him, the more I think, you know what, I, I'd really like him to be on my five-a-side team, but yeah. but not not in my 11-a-side team because there's just, I just don't think there's enough there. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Mm. I, I think he is a, he is a talented player. Mm. I, I basically think that... Um, you know, he, he's he's a decent... If Shaka were to leave, for example, you know, and, and Sabahis would kind of come into his spot as an alternative, I don't have a huge issue with it. But my, my qualm with him is just the consistent application of his talent. You know, he's he's, he's a very gifted mm. footballer, but I feel like the consistency is a real issue for him. Yeah, I think so. And I think the more this season goes on, the more it becomes really clear that... Um, surprise surprise midfield is a real problem for this yeah, team like I don't know you know this isn't to make any excuses for anybody Mikel Arteta or or anybody but I don't know how you can play uh, competitive 
top-level football without top-level midfield players. You know, is it a coincidence that Mohamed Elneny's best game for us in a billion years came when he played alongside <laughs> the one really top-quality midfielder that we have? And, you know, again, I'm not saying we should be 15th. I'm not saying that these players aren't capable of better than this, but I just mean in general, we've got one midfielder and he's knackered. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point as well about Elneny. He's a classic sidekick, isn't he? And I think he yeah. kind of plays to the level of what's around him to an extent. Yeah. Um, and last night it, it wasn't a, a great level for him. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, listen, I do feel a bit for Arteta and Edu in that they went and bought a top-class midfielder and he's barely, barely played for us. Uh, but almost when he does, it kind of... Uh, exposes some of the other deficiencies in the midfield yeah. all the more. You know, you notice the absence of players like that when he does play. So uh, it's still a, a massive issue. For this Would team. you, um, because we're going to get onto him, and I think he was, you know, the bright spot of our of our night. Mm. I know it's a lot of responsibility to put on him, but would you think about using Bakayo Saka in a midfield role? I would. I mean, I, I think that when things work well in this system, you know, he does get into those areas. Um, but I think if I was going to play more like a four-three-three, he would definitely be in my three. And I, I mm. really like. I know. Listen, he creates a great goal with a piece of play from the wide area yesterday and he can be really really dangerous in the first half. There was that great moment where he sort of got to the byline and just played a really emphatic cross yeah. uh, which was uh, cut out at the near post but I thought oh, just a bit of power behind something immediately creates threat but I, I do like him in central areas so I would be tempted by that would you? I, yeah I think I would in a 4-3-3 for sure because um, you know he's got the the talent he's got the ability he's got the bravery he takes responsibility you know mm. I think there was something um, for Danny Ceballos to learn from the way Bakayo Saka played and his contribution to that to that Arsenal goal. You know, Southampton from the start, and like a lot of teams of late, kind of get stuck into him physically. I mean, how how much was your heart in your mouth early on when he went down holding his knee? I was like, oh fuck, Beak. like this is this is yeah. yeah yeah. Like everyone, I'm sure everyone listening to this, we were all like, oh no, please. Um, you know, but it tells you something about the way the opposition treat Bakayo Saka. Uh, tells you something about him as a player, and he 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 stayed on his feet. Um, Southampton tried to clatter him a couple of times. He played a ball inside. Very nice little flick from Eddie. We've got to give him credit for that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Aubameyang in front of goal, you know, where you want him. And maybe the first time we've really seen him there in a long time, stuck it away. So, you know, if we're looking for positives from this one, you know, that little passage of play, what Saka demonstrates, what he what he brings to the team, uh, along with Aubameyang breaking that goal drought, very positive. Yeah, and from Saka, I mean, I must say, when he went yeah. down under that challenge early on, I was really worried. And and I I think this might just be trauma in me as an Arsenal <laughs> fan, but I, I do have that kind of Jack Wilshire fear, you know, of this guy. He's got a playing style that means he gets fouled, you know, because yeah. he's a dribbler. Uh, he, he seems to be much more physically robust than Jack at this stage. And that is a huge relief. But um, 
I hope he gets proper protection from referees and I mm. hope he gets, I hope we improve in such a way that we can protect him a little bit more and not yeah. maybe not play him every single minute as he currently has to seem to. Yeah, but. well, I mean, he has to because there, there aren't enough players performing and there aren't enough players playing with the kind of character you need yeah. to get you through a period like this. Well, uh, he got his manager out of a hole last night. I mean, yeah. imagine the position Mikel Arteta might have been had Arsenal not got anything from that game. And he showed such force of personality, I think, to go on that run that created that first goal. And athleticism, you know, strength to resist the challenges, uh, intelligence to keep his head at the end of the run and play the right pass. And I, you're right, it's not something we associate with Eddie Nketiah that nice little touch but it was a good one and turns out Aubameyang remembers at least how to do that when he's <laughs> in that position yeah he can put it in the bottom corner and I, it, I, it, felt, it felt almost surreal to see Arsenal score a goal from open play and a good goal too yeah very good goal uh, you know, so it, it shows that we do still have it somewhere deep within us, deep within our, our DNA. Um, yeah, Jurassic Arsenal, someone just extract the DNA from the amber and inject it back into us. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it was a good goal. It was a good goal. However, a problem that this team has had of late is is discipline and ill-discipline to varying degrees. I think it's, it's fair to say. Um, you know, Sabayas, who we talked about early on, uh, he picked up a yellow card that he didn't need to pick up. You know, a show of dissent. I think he punched the ball into the ground after, I think, handball was given against Saka. Yeah. You know, we've had red cards. Don't be stupid. Don't don't give the referee the opportunity to, uh, to, to cause us problems. Um, Gabriel... I'm not 100% sure, and I can't say for certain that the referee wasn't going to book him anyway, but he definitely reacted to Gabriel kicking the ball away when he made that, that foul. Mm-hmm. So there's a oh, yellow yeah. card that he could possibly have avoided. It didn't do him any favours. <laughs> no, it didn't do him any favours. Um, the second one, I mean, it's a bit soft... And you do you do wonder if a referee could potentially have given a player the benefit of the doubt there, you know, just have a word. Um, mm. But such is the uh, the perception of us at this moment in time. I just felt there was no other way that that was going to go down. I mean, I think I said after his first booking in the live blog, I said, I'm a bit worried about Gabriel because yeah. I don't think the referee is going to give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to his next foul, whether it was a scything tackle through the back of somebody or something relatively innocuous like the one on Walcott. Um, so I don't want to go to town on, on Gabriel, but it is a situation in which I think he just had to be a little more careful. Yeah, do you remember Old Trafford? Gabriel got booked. Mm. And something we're learning about him is that at the moment, he doesn't really adapt his style of play at all when he gets booked. He was arguably a little bit fortunate to stay on the pitch at Old Trafford. Um, there was an instant where he could have received a second booking and he didn't. Mm. And in some ways, that's something to be celebrated. You know, this is a guy who plays without fear and he's as committed physically when he's on a yellow card as when he's not. However... Maybe that's something that as he gets older, as he gains experience, he might start to adjust a little bit more and learn that, you know, it's not the most sensible thing to do. I mean, I'd say the second booking he gets, 
probably eight times out of ten you do see a yellow card for that. It's just yeah. one of those sendings off where cumulatively you look at it and you go, it's a lot, isn't it? To be sent off for those two incidents, it feels like a a slightly harsh punishment but slightly but you know it was two yellow cards in three yeah. minutes or whatever it was yeah. and, and I think you know another thing that we have to look at which isn't to make ex- uh, excuses for Gabrielle is that this was just a simple ball downfield into the centre circle from the goalkeeper yeah. where if Walcott had turned Gabrielle and got away from him or been allowed to get away from him then they were in a three on two situation well, that's, yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, again, it comes back to, to midfield for me. You know, the, the, the two guys, I think Ceballos and Elneny were trying to press up the other end mm-hmm. of the pitch and there was no protection whatsoever um, in the centre of the park. So all the keeper had to do was just play not even a long punt. It was just one of those where you clip the ball from your goal, uh, from your penalty area into midfield into the feet of a striker who turned yellow card. I mean, it's just, yeah, that would drive anyone mad. Yeah. Southampton, I think, probably watched Spurs play Arsenal and saw, you know, they could get the ball into Harry Kane and Mm. he was comfortable to hold it up and and lay runners in behind. So they did the same thing with Adams and and Walcott running off him. And Arsenal, I I think think when people do that to us, it panics us a bit. And Mm. it's interesting, you know, all these red cards. I mean, on Monday we spoke about it and I said, is is it an unhappy camp? And having thought about it more, I think it it also just speaks to sort of a bit of desperation. I mean, if you wanted to say, if you wanted to make the case the players are still playing for this manager, you'd say they're almost too eager, you know. They're they're making Mm. mistakes uh, born out of, yeah, I, I can't think of another word other than, than desperation, really. And um, a huge blow to Mikel Arteta because who knows what happens if this game stays at 11 versus 11. I, yeah, I didn't necessarily have the same sense or the same frustration with uh, with this one as I did with the Burnley game, in which I feel like we really had a good chance of going on to win that game if we kept it 11 versus 11. You know, mm. I think we have to recognise that while we did score a good goal and again, we had a bright, start to the second half in the overall context of the game Southampton were were superior oh you know yeah so it it doesn't feel to me quite the same as Burnley where I look at that game and think well that should have been three points because you know we were on top and we were you know we 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 should have scored the goal the goal slash goals to win that game if we'd had 11 uh, players on the pitch I mean what what, sorry go on no I was just going to say and there's a degree to which I mean you know, we're all delighted that they managed to get a point at least. Um, but there's a degree to which it suits us. Like when we had a man sent off at Leeds, don't know if you remember, but that was mm. kind of an end-to-end encounter where it looked like they might score every time they went forward. Pepe got sent off and actually sitting in uh, improved us to an extent. We were at least comfortable with the sort of consolation of we just have to defend what we have. Um and I think there was an element of that in this game. Had it remained 11 aside, had there been more onus on us to go forward, I wonder if the same gaps might have appeared at the back. Yeah, I mean, you you referenced some Burned Leno quotes. I mean, what were those or what did you take from those? Uh, yeah, let me find them now. Sorry. I, 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 I found them... Here you go. 
Uh, the least, the, Leno, the coach is the least reason for be, us being in this situation. If you look at how we sometimes walked around on the pitch, the only fault lies with the players. I have to say that honestly. We get red cards, make mistakes, are disorganised. These are things that we have addressed a thousand times. In the end, that's a lack of focus among the players. Um, yeah. It's pretty strong stuff. Uh, I mean, to be honest, from a goalkeeper, it feels like he's having a go at the guys in front of him, doesn't it? Uh, a little bit, a little bit, yeah. And, and you know, I don't know quite where to stand on that, where I, I like the idea that players are taking responsibility or they're sort of abdicating responsibility from the coach because if you're disorganised, is that, is that not his very job, you know, to make that, to make that happen? Um, what what did you make of the the final period of the game? Because... You know, for me, when we were reduced to 10 men, we obviously had to take Ceballos off because Arteta couldn't trust his player to uh, not do something daft. He had to take yeah. a, a guy with a yellow card off and put a guy without a yellow card on. So Joe Willett came on and, you know, um, his qualities aren't necessarily ball retention. Let's put it like that. And that's not to be no. critical of Joe, but that's not the game that he plays. He's he's a runner. He's somebody who arrives in the box. You know that he's not the guy who's going to put the foot on, put his foot on the ball, and and help you keep possession. But the way we played, I felt we didn't really have any choice. This is a team absolutely broken in terms of confidence and form, on the verge of creating the kind of record that no player regardless of of you know how much they care or they don't care and we can speculate about that until the cows come home they do not want to be part of a record which says arsenal lost a fifth successive home game for the first time in its history you know mm. so it was really about digging in sitting off staying compact trying to defend i know there was the nathan redmond chance but there wasn't a great deal for us to be concerned about. It wasn't like Leeds where they hit the post three times in the last whatever amount of, of time it was. So, mm. you know, I felt like it wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice to look at. It, 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 it really does say something about where we are and who we are at this moment in time that we played that way against Southampton, even with 10 men. But in the circumstances, what else could we do? Yeah, and I think something Arteta has been maybe guilty of has been... Go ch chasing wins, you know. I think, for example, he went into the North London derby trying to win uh, when he really probably should have just come and and been happy to take a point. And I think something that they have talked about since the Burnley game internally, uh, from what I hear, is just the importance of not losing. Mm. Uh, and I think this was a game that Arteta couldn't afford to lose. I think the team could not afford to lose. And, you know, they, they managed to do that. I think Southampton will have regrets, actually. I mean, there was the, the Redmond chance you mentioned, but there was another occasion where Gineppo got in oh, on the yeah. left-hand side. Actually, yeah, I've blocked off a few of those scary moments. <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a couple of those, and I think one with Walker-Peters, where yeah. I thought they should have made more of it. Um, I, I, given Also, I mean, I'm saying that knowing our vulnerability, do you know what I mean? Knowing yeah. how fragile our confidence is and that we were never really going to pose a threat going forward um, with the obvious late example uh, from the set piece being the exception. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised, shall we say, that Arsenal didn't go and try to win it with 10 men. I just, I, I would love to believe we have that in our locker at the moment. The truth is, 
that we don't. No, I mean, that would have been the height of stupidity if we got, you know, pushed X amount of men forward and then got caught on the break. Nobody would be sitting here this morning saying, well, you know, at least we gave it a go. It was good, good try, lads. Well done. You'd just be saying, that was so fucking stupid. What were you doing? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't like that we are where we are and I don't like that we have to play this way. You know, I think I was talking to... Uh, to Elliot from the Arsenal Vision podcast last night on WhatsApp, and I was just saying, remember when we would go down to 10 men under Wenger? And, you know, the the amount of times we actually had more of the ball and more control of the game and, and looked more dangerous sometimes mm. with 10 men, but that's that's who we were. That's, you know, you might as well pine for the Invincibles as pine for that stuff, given the difference between, you know, those players and that character and that mentality. Um, and that, that sort of aura that we had where even if we did go down to 10 men teams were still like whoa we're still not going to be easy whereas now i think you know that's all flipped the other way so that is where we are and it is what we are and that's i think what we have to kind of come to terms with if we're ever going to put it right yeah yeah i actually listened to elliot on the their instant reaction pod last night and he was I think he was gutted about uh, this performance. You know, I think he really hated that Arsenal had to be kind of so inhibited at mm. ten men. And it's interesting. I think uh, na- inevitably people have different emotional responses to games. I saw a lot of people last night were just incredibly relieved that we'd finally got a point. You know, some saw real green shoots there. I had um, that reaction where. On the one hand, I was relieved, but my relief also told me a lot about where we are right now. Yeah. It was a, a kind of a reality check that stopping the rot with a draw, a point at home for mm. the first time in five home matches, you know, our level, our standards are are pretty low right now. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Do we very finally take any comfort from the the point? Does it give us something to build on? I mean, are we looking at things through extremely rose-tinted glasses if we think, well, you know, we're going to Goodison on the back of, if not a win, a not loss? Uh, You know, is it something to build on? I mean, obviously it's better than going to Goodison having been beaten, but I don't know that it answers too many questions. Do you know what? I think I derive more confidence from the goal than I do from the point. Okay. Um, as good as Southampton are, uh-huh. you know, and they're playing very, very well this season. I think they went top, didn't they, temporarily when they beat us last night. Um, I, you know, I, I think that still a point, I, I can't get too excited about it. But the fact that we scored from open play, you know, we spoke about kind of that sense of the players' movement being off. They're not quite anticipating things. Mm. There's none of that synchronicity or, you know, synapses crackling between players. I just wonder if that bit of imagination, that bit of individual brilliance might be something that restores a bit of life to this team. I'm not confident going mm. to Everton no. at all. They had a good result. Um was it last night or the night before? I forget. But yeah. they had a good result. Yeah. Well, how about you? Um, there's a really foolish part of my brain or my heart, actually, which says, yeah, scored a good goal. We've, we've you know, uh, at least put the brakes on a little bit. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe. But, you know, over the last few weeks, I've sort of gone into every game with this wild hope that somehow 
Arsenal will just become Arsenal again, or the Arsenal I want us to be. And every passing game, I'm becoming more resigned to the Arsenal that we are. So, look, I hope we can do it, but uh, I'm not particularly confident either so 11 men would be nice wouldn't it it would be i mean i think that's that's crucial that really is crucial you know it's it's and, it's not the only problem that we've had but it does exacerbate the problems that we're enduring and just looking ahead you know i mean uh, it does mean of course we go to goodison park without gabrielle yeah. which will present its own challenges well too. david louise in and then you know look the next week is going to be crazy because we've got uh man city on tuesday then we've got uh chelsea next saturday mm-hmm. so yep yeah, it's all there it's all there plenty for us to talk about we'll um, we'll talk about it on monday obviously james on the arsecast extra but for now we'll leave it there thank you very much bye-bye how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you very much to James. If you're an athletic subscriber, you can find a, a really good piece that he wrote along with David Ornstein today, trying to track and look at the decline of Arsenal over the last number of years. Obviously, this season it is very acute and very marked, but uh, I think a broader look at how we've got here is is quite important. And that is something that we will try and do on tomorrow's Arsecast. So please join us for that. Thank you very much indeed for subscribing. Thanks for being here. Uh, because this is sort of like a an ad hoc um, bonus Arsecast, an extra Arsecast, as I said, there is no end bit on this one, but I hope you enjoyed the show all the same. We'll have another podcast for you tomorrow. We'll have a preview podcast for the Everton game on Patreon, uh, exclusively for our Patreon members, patreon.com forward slash arsblog, if you'd like to sign up. Uh, So until we get all that in your ears, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.